Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for NFL Week 11. Recording it a few hours later than usual because Matt's basketball team got eliminated from the Chelsea Peers League. Matt won the scoring title, so something good came out of it. But basketball is a team game, Matt. You have to be a team player. No, I don't care about that. I just want my scoring title trophy. Oh, whatever. You got out of it. You got something to put on the mantle. Very impressive that you averaged whatever 25 points a game in the Chelsea Piers basketball league. Thank you. I think it is impressive. top-level competition. So let's see. Week 11. I think this is kind of a weird slate because even though there's 11 games, I think most of them aren't even really worth talking about. And then there's just one ridiculously strong stack spot, which is probably going to be where most of my exposure is anyway. We'll go through all these games because even some of the bad games, I think, do have kind of maybe some fringy type options. But the first game on the slate is the Detroit Lions at the Chicago Bears. So, Matt, what is the Vegas info for this game? This game has the biggest drop of the over-under of any game this week. And we're going to see a lot of that because there's some bad weather games and there's just bad offenses. We have some backup quarterbacks playing. And I guess before talking about this, I'll just agree with your sentiment on the whole slate. And normally I would say when there's one really obvious spot, you kind of need to go elsewhere and just fade the high ownership. But I really don't think ownership will be that high on any one game this week because in football, people are very prone to recency bias. There are a lot of players that are actually in poor matchups that I think still will have plenty of ownership this week just because they always do. And there are players that have scored a lot of touchdowns recently that still will get a lot of ownership, even though we don't think that they're even usable. Uh, There might be a decent amount of that in this game. So the over-under has gone down from 44 to 41. The Bears opened at plus three. It's now plus two and a half. So very anti-Lions offense sharp money. And this should be a low-scoring game, and I don't really think that there's a lot to talk about here because there aren't a lot of players that are cheap enough where they're really that usable. Yeah, I don't I don't like anybody from Detroit side. I don't like anybody from the Chicago side. I'm not going to be rostering anybody from this game. And the next one we have is the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Cleveland Browns. At first look, I thought, oh, maybe this is a decent spot for Blake Bortles, even though he's not good at football. But... Still, we have uh, really bad weather expected in Cleveland. It's supposed to be cold. It's supposed to be windy. So I think that, well, Cleveland's offense was certainly already out of play against the, against the Jaguars' defense. But I think both of these defenses make some sense. The Jaguars, I believe, most expensive, yeah, 4,000 most expensive defense on the slate. And then I think the Browns at 2,300. I think that's kind of an under-the-radar spot uh, to save some salary just because of how bad the weather's expected to be. The cold, like we talked about last week, anything under 30 degrees, it starts to affect the passing game. And then also, Blake Bortles is prone to make mistakes. And the Browns' defense, uh, let's see, where are they at for the year now? Cleveland Browns are 21st in DVOA, 27th against the pass, 2nd against the run. So I, I think it's kind of a question of what's worse, the Browns' bad passing defense or Blake Bortles' bad passing uh, game? And then I think when we factor both of them being shitty with the weather, I tend to lean more towards the Browns' defense in this one, and Matt could take some credit for it because that was his idea originally. So do you still agree with yourself, Matt? Oh, thank you for giving me the credit. Yes, I definitely still agree with myself from 10 to 15 minutes ago. I also think it's just a good matchup for the Browns' defense because the Browns are a lot better against the run, and in a bad weather game, the Jaguars are 
going to be more inclined to run than usual. And the Jaguars are already a run-heavy team. Leonard Fournette is a really big part of their offense, obviously. So if you were going to pick which side of the ball it would be better for the Browns to be worse at, I guess, you would want them to be a team that struggles against the pass because that just won't be that big of a factor in this game. Uh, so for their prices, yeah, Browns defense at 2300 I like that a lot better than Jaguars at 4000 I still think the Jaguars are in play, but that uh, that's just a big price to pay for a defense. And then quickly on the Vegas information, the over-under has dropped from 38 to 37 and the Browns have actually moved from plus 9 to plus 7.5. So the Sharps are very much against Jacksonville's offense. The public is on the Jaguars, of course. The public is always against the Browns. Uh, so with Sharp money going in favor of Cleveland's defense, I think that only just supports the sentiment that the Browns are a good value at 2300 all right, so moving along, another game without really a ton of interest, Baltimore Ravens at the Green Bay Packers. I think one thing to keep an eye on is what is going to be the status of Danny Woodhead because he is only, I think it's 4400 Yeah, 4400 for Danny Woodhead. He's been practicing with the Ravens. I think that there's an outside possibility of him being the starting running back this week. If that happens, I think he's a really solid value of 4400 uh, even though Joe Flacco's had a down year, still Woodhead pretty friendly DraftKings PPR game where he catches passes, so that'll help. And week one it was when he got hurt, he had three catches for 33 yards in the first quarter before getting injured and missing the rest of the season up until now. So I think that he's worth a look if he's starting. If he isn't going to start, then i probably just off this game as a whole. The Green Bay running back situation... Um, Looks like Aaron Jones is out. Ty Montgomery is questionable. So Jamal Williams at 4900 that would be really cheap for somebody who's expected to get, like, all of the carries. So maybe he'd be worth a look, except the issue is just that the Ravens have a really good defense. So I think there's better spots to go, except I think that maybe he's worth putting into a lineup or two. Yeah, I agree with you on Williams if Montgomery sits, but it's not the best pick anyway. Like you said, the Ravens have a really good defense. This is another game with a really low over-under at 38. Both teams probably will be very run-heavy, though, so I don't think there's much reason to consider either defense. The Packers at 2,700, maybe, just because that's cheap, but I do like the Browns better. The Ravens at 3,400, I don't think there's a ton of upside there because the Packers have been pretty good running the football this year. I think they actually still are number one in run offense DVOA, and they've gone very run-heavy since Aaron Rodgers got hurt. So without a lot of passes, there's not a lot of potential for the Ravens' defense to do too much in terms of fantasy scoring. Yeah, this is just another game where there's very little to talk about. I agree with you on Danny Woodhead if he's starting. I guess we kind of need to know that he'll be starting and that he'll receive a heavy workload, or at least a moderate workload. Because if he's starting and he's still only going to be on the field for a third or less than half of the snaps, it's probably not worth using him. But if he's going to play a lot, then Woodhead makes sense. Maybe Jamal Williams, but definitely nothing from either passing game. All right, so we have a surprise team that we kind of like from this next game, and that is the Arizona Cardinals at the Houston Texans. Uh, Houston Texans' defense has not been good. We've talked about that for a while since J.J. Watt and Whitney Merciless got hurt. But that's actually not the side of the game that we like. We actually have a moderate amount of interest in superstar Tom Savage and his passing game, and it's mostly just because they're so cheap. And the Cardinals' pass defense are now... Let's see, what were they in DVOA? It's 18th, I think. Uh, yeah, so they're actually, they've been okay, 18th in DVOA. But this is more just to do with how cheap the Texans' passing game is. So 
Tom Savage, and also not a spot that I think that we're saying like go crazy on or anything, just that there are some values to the price tags that make them worth rostering in GPPs. Tom Savage is 4,400. DeAndre Hopkins is at 6,100. And then we have Will Fuller's been ruled out for the week. So Bruce Ellington is going to start in his spot. And Ellington is the bare minimum price. And he has 16 targets over the Texans' last two games. So 16 targets for somebody who's at a min price, even though Tom Savage hasn't been good, you only need nine points from the 3x value. So if if he gets another eight targets and you say, okay, maybe he goes four for 50 yards. And he also has gotten some red zone targets. He has two touchdowns this year. So I wouldn't say it's likely he scores a touchdown, but it's a possibility. But if we get four for 50 from Ellington, that's a pretty positive result. And I don't think that's something outrageous to think could happen. Yeah, Ellington's going to be one of my highest-owned players this week. That's a really insane price for a starting receiver in sort of a plus matchup. It's a home game for the Texans against a slightly below-average pass defense. So even though Savage is bad, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a pretty high floor for Ellington. He should catch at least a few passes, and then there could be a lot of upside if he, he just needs one touchdown, and then it's a monster game for him at that price. So I like Ellington. I like Hopkins. I'm not, I'm not really a huge fan of Tom Savage, but if you're using his receivers, it makes sense to play him for the correlation. He's also really cheap. I don't think Tom Savage is a good cash game player or anything, but if you want to stack the Texans passing game, obviously you got to throw him in there too. Uh, and then Lamar Miller is only 5,000 at running back, so not as good of a matchup because Arizona is better against the run than they are against the pass. Uh, Arizona is ninth in run DVOA. But Lamar Miller as a starting running back that gets a pretty heavy workload at 5000 that's just way too cheap for him, and he's been pretty good this year. The only reason he hasn't been more of a fantasy producer is because recently the Texans have gotten behind in games and needed to throw late. I don't think that that will be even remotely the case here, and I guess I should mention the Vegas information along that line. So the Texans open at plus one and a half. They're one and a half point underdogs when... Uh, I think it was before Blaine Gabbert was announced as the Cardinals starter. And then after Gabbert was announced in, the line was moved to pick him. But the Texans are now up to two and a half point favorites. And it's sort of neutral public on both sides. There's definitely sharp money on Houston here. The total is holding fairly steady. The public is very heavy on the under though. So I think that what this shows is that the Sharps like the Texans and the public is undervaluing the scoring potential. So you'll definitely be getting Houston at pretty low ownership, especially with a couple of the high-scoring games that we'll get to here. Uh, there's some fairly obvious other spots on the slate. You can get the Texans for cheap at probably a very contrarian pick, and I don't think it's my favorite spot overall as far as a game stack, but these individual players are just all way too inexpensive. I actually think, so Lamar Miller and Jamal Williams are about the same price. I think I slightly prefer Williams, just because the Ravens are 19th in rush DVOA, and the Cardinals are 9th in rush DVOA. So that also just depends. If Montgomery's out, I think I would prefer to roster Williams ahead of Lamar Miller. Yeah, I think I agree with that, although you definitely can roster both of them together. You don't just have to use one running back. That costs the same as the other one. You actually have to use two running backs. (laughs) Yeah, you have to use at least two running backs. Um I do agree with you, though. Williams over Miller slightly if Montgomery's out. And I think we both prefer the Texans passing game to their running game anyway. But Miller is definitely usable. He's one of my favorite running backs for this week. But if Montgomery's out, I like Williams more also. 
All right, so next game on the slate, the Los Angeles Rams at the Minnesota Vikings. I'm going to assume people are going to want to look at the offenses for both these teams, but both these teams have really good defenses. The Rams are actually number one in DVOA this year defense. The Minnesota Vikings ninth in DVOA on defense. So these are both teams actually have better defenses than they have offenses. So for that reason, I'm off this game. The other thing also is they're just really expensive. So we have uh, Case Keenum's actually reasonably priced, but his receivers, uh, Adam Thielen, 7,200. That is the third most expensive receiver on the entire slate. Then we have Stephon Diggs at 6,700. That's also really expensive. So it just it's hard to make a stack of them, especially because of how good the Rams' defense is. So I don't really think that makes sense. And then, I mean, it's kind of the same thing from the Rams' side of the game where it's just they're really expensive and they have a tough matchup. So we have Jared Goff all the way to 6,500 now. Robert Woods is all the way at 6,000. I, I think that just because of the matchups and the prices, I'm off these offenses. Well, I agree with you on the matchups and the prices for sure, but I also think this game is an auto-fade because of what the ownership will probably be on these players anyway. The Rams and the Vikings, I think, were the two highest-scoring offenses last week. The Vikings had a huge game through the air. The Rams did also, even though all the production came in the second half. Gurley wasn't quite as good as the passing game, but Gurley always is one of the highest-owned players. So what you said, plus the fact that this game still figures to have decent ownership by the field just because the players are popular and they're quote-unquote hot recently, I have absolutely zero interest in rostering them in GPPs. But even for cash, yeah, they're, they're too expensive. All right, so next game on the slate is the Washington Redskins at the New Orleans Saints. So this kind of interesting game just because the Redskins passing game has been pretty strong this year. And the Saints defense, I just think, is a, a good defense, though, overall. Fifth in DVOA, fourth against the pass, but only 25th against the run. So the Redskins' uh, run game does make a little bit more sense than the pass game. And then we also have Robert Kelly's out, which should open up a little bit more opportunities in the Redskins' backfield with Sam Perrine expected to start. So what is the over-under for this game, Matt? There's uh, some decent line movement to the over, but it looks to be just the public. Let me just double-check that. Maybe a little bit of sharp action, too. The, the over-under opened at 49. It's now 51 and a half. It's kind of hard to say. The 84% of the bets are on the over and 99% of the dollars are on the over. So usually when 99% of the dollars are on one side, that's a little bit of the sharps. They definitely don't disagree with the public, at least. Maybe they're just laying off the game. But everyone's, everyone that is betting on the game is on the over. So that is concerning if you want to fade the game. I do think the Redskins running game is the way to go here because the Saints offense is really priced up, especially at running back. I just don't think those guys are usable at their current prices. Uh, so the Redskins running game could be a sneaky play. Usually you're getting low ownership on running backs if you're taking a team that's a big underdog. And with Rob Kelly out, yeah, there's uh, there's extra snaps for Chris Thompson and for Perrine. Yeah, the one the one spot in the Redskins passing game that I do think makes sense is Jameson Crowder is just definitely the Redskins' number one receiver right now. Last two games, 13 targets, 11 targets, and a total of 13 catches for about 200 yards over those last two games. So just looking at how, and he's actually getting some uh, rushing attempts too. They've been giving him a couple end arounds because he has three rushing attempts over the last two games. So just based on Jamison Crowder's involvement in the offense over the last two weeks, even though the Saints passing defense has been really good, it's not like that the Redskins are going to complete zero passes. And I think 4,300 is a bit too cheap for Crowder. So I think he makes sense as a value receiver. 
Yeah, I like Crowder too. That definitely makes sense. Not someone who was on my radar initially, but definitely agree with that logic. Um, how how strongly are you recommending the fade on Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara? Pretty pretty strongly, mostly because the way that I'm looking to build my rosters is probably not going to be going super uh, expensive at, at running back. It'll probably be more balanced type lineups, and then there's a lot of guys in like the 6,000 range that I like at wide receiver. So I think that using more guys along like the Chris Thompson and the uh, Sam Perrine types at running back make more sense to me. And then it's just... I mean, 8,100 for Ingram, 7,500 for Kamara. Yeah, they were both really good last week in a matchup against the Bills, but that, that's just really, really expensive prices to pay for them. Yeah, it's it's two running backs, and the Saints have done well supporting fantasy production for two guys, but it, it is a timeshare. Like, it, at some point, there's going to be a week where one of them just doesn't produce because there are only so many carries to go around, and we can't expect these huge runs from both of them every week. And even though it's happened, I just I think it's a really bad bet to go in that direction again. And the Redskins' defense is pretty good, so that's uh, that's just a spot I definitely have zero interest in. Yeah, I mean, Kamara had 12 carries last week. He also had five catches. He had 10 carries the week before and six catches. Like, I don't think his role is significantly different than Chris Thompson. And if you remember Thompson a few weeks ago, everybody wanted to roster Thompson when he was, uh, you know, he had a couple of games very similar to what to what uh, uh, camera had where Thompson was yeah so Thompson had a game against the Raiders where he had eight he had eight rushes for 38 yards and six catches for 150 yards and a touchdown and then he had another game against the 49ers where he had 16 carries for 33 yards and four catches for 105 yards like those are he's a very similar type player to, to Kamara he's just a lot cheaper so I think that I'd prefer to use Thompson for that kind of upside where the floor is still pretty low for Thompson, but the floor is very low for Cameron also because he's probably only getting 15 or so touches. Uh, it's just I'd rather the price savings on Thompson. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely with you, Thompson. Not sure if I either of us have decided if we prefer him or Perrine, but I think using either or in various lineups makes sense. They're probably good picks this week for different reasons. I think Perrine is the guy to go with if you think the Redskins can keep it closer than that seven and a half point spread indicates. And then if you're just kind of going with game flow and assume the Redskins will be trailing, then Thompson ends up getting targets late in the game. And that could become a really strong value play. So both of those guys are on the table and yeah, Thompson over Kamara. That's, um, that's probably two guys who have very similar expected outputs this week. And Thompson is what 50% cheaper. So that's, that's very obvious. Yeah. I'm definitely with you there. All right, so the next game, one of the only things that really worked out last week was a stack of the Giants-49ers game. And this week we have the Giants playing against the Kansas City Chiefs. It's not quite the same because the Chiefs are really expensive, except there's so much big play upside from the Chiefs. So Travis Kelsey at 7,300, I mean, he's in play just because the Giants have been terrible against tight ends. They've given up a a touchdown to a tight end in every single game so far this year. So Kelsey's at 7,300. I'm going to assume that he's going to be one of the highest owned players on the slate, but I think it's a really strong spot for him, especially for cash games. I like Travis Kelsey a lot. Tyree Kill is all the way at 7,100. I don't know if I've ever seen a player more likely to have a 50-plus yard touchdown in a single game ever because the Giants have been so prone to giving up big plays so far this year. Nobody produces more big plays than Tyree Kill. So 7,100 for Tyree Kill. I think that he makes a lot of sense. And then from the Giants' side of the game, 
I'm not going to say that I love the Giants, but I think that Sterling Shepard at 6,300, he's been getting a lot of targets recently, and I think that, let's see, what did he have last week? He finished with 13 targets, and on those 13 targets, very efficient, 11 catches for 142 yards. So the Giants also, good chance that they're going to be down late in this game, which means that there's going to be more garbage time or just plays where they're throwing the ball to Shepard to try to get back into it like we saw last week. And then on the chance that it maybe does stay competitive, Orleans Darkwa makes some sense at 4,800 at running back. The Kansas City Chiefs dead last in the NFL, 32nd in rush DVOA. Just the question is, will this be a close enough game where the Giants are running the ball late, or is it going to be a situation where the Giants are down by seven points or so at the end of the game and trying to pass to get back into it? So I've been kind of weighing in my mind which of, the, which of two teams is my favorite contrarian passing game to go with either the Giants or the Texans. We haven't gotten to the spot that I think definitely is both of our favorites. But the Giants, yeah, the the passing game is tough to pick compared to the running game because the Chiefs are just worse against the run. So I agree with you on Darkwa, but looking at the line movement, I think that there is some reason to bump the Giants' passing game based on what we're seeing from Vegas. So the Giants opened at 12.5-point underdogs. The line is only at 10 now. And the over-under has gone up from 44 to 46. So if we're talking about the Giants having more scoring potential, that usually means a boost to the passing game, not really the running game, because the the Giants running more would slow the game down and probably lead to less points. I think the sharp money in Vegas actually is favoring the Giants passing game here. Maybe Eli Manning returns to being slightly above average this week because he hasn't he's been below average for the whole season. Um, and then yeah, Relative Sterling, to Price, he was great last week, though, because of the, the big garbage time. Yeah, and I, I think that's part of it, too. I think that we have a good chance for some of that this week, and the Giants have done pretty well throwing in garbage time, at least they did last week, uh, for fantasy production. So pairing Eli with Shepard and Ingram, that's probably a viable strategy. But I think the whole Giants offense is in play. And then for the Chiefs, I agree with you. I do think ownership will be pretty high there. It seems like it's been become a very popular strategy for people to pick players going against the Giants, and the Chiefs are pretty expensive, so I'm, I probably won't be heavy there. Although I also agree with your Tyreek Hill analysis, the Giants have been very big play prone, but I think I'm going elsewhere. Just there are there are better values for cheaper. I don't think I want to bet on Tyreek Hill having one huge play because the Giants' defense, although it's been bad, there were a couple games there where they were dealing with injuries and then. I guess they were bad even when healthy last week, but that seems against like a really bad against a really bad uh, passing game of the 49ers. They still got destroyed. Yeah, that was a road game though in better passing conditions. This game is in New York. The weather looks like it will be kind of bad. There's a lot of wind in a lot of places this week, so maybe that that hurts both passing games. Um, yeah, that that is a little bit concerning. So I'll say my favorite player from the game overall is probably Darkwa. But I have some interest in the Giants passing game, and then it's less interest, but still some interest in the Chiefs. Okay, so next game we have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the Miami Dolphins. It's hard to really have a lot of interest in this game. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick still starting at quarterback for the Buccaneers. He's also been priced up, which is really weird that he would he would be more expensive after his game from last week where he didn't look good. He wasn't good last year. I don't see a reason to expect him to start improving now. And then also Mike Evans is really expensive, and he's back from suspension. 
So I don't really think the Buccaneers' offense is a great spot. From the Dolphins' side, again, they do have a really favorable matchup. Uh, one thing to keep an eye on, Jarvis Landry is questionable. If he can't play, then I think we could see a ton of targets going to Devontae Parker, and that would make him a pretty good target in a plus matchup against the Buccaneers' pass defense, which is currently uh, 28th in pass DVOA. So I was just looking for a reason why there would be sharp action going against the Dolphins' offense in this easy matchup, and I guess it's probably what you just said. Jarvis Landry is questionable, so maybe Landry's uncertain status is the reason why we're seeing the line movement that we're seeing, because the total opened at 43.5. It's now only 41. The Dolphins open as 1.5-point favorites. The lines now pick them. So that favors Tampa Bay's defense, which, yeah, there's got to be a reason that supports that. I don't think people are just assuming that Tampa Bay's defense is all of a sudden going to start playing well because they've been very bad. So Devontae Parker is the guy for sure that makes sense if Landry doesn't play. Other than that, though, I think there's there's just very little reason to like this game because Ryan Fitzpatrick is terrible and the Dolphins offense isn't particularly good either. But if more of this target share is going to one of their two receivers than usual, and I guess it would be very heavily dependent on Parker if Landry's sitting, then that's probably the one guy that you end up considering. All right, so next game, uh, we have an interesting coaching move. The Buffalo Bills at the Los Angeles Chargers. So the Buffalo Bills' run defense has been so bad since trading Marcel Darius that Tyrod Taylor's being benched in favor of Peterman. Uh, Peterman, I don't really know a lot about him except he figures to not be a good quarterback. He certainly figures to be worse than Tyrod Taylor. He's actually played pretty well overall this year and was really good last year. The Bills organization as a whole seems to not like Tyrod Taylor. I think there was also some sort of bonus situation in his contract where he gets extra money based on how many games he plays. So since the Bills are kind of a team that seems that they're tanking right now, they traded their top cornerback in the offseason. They traded Sammy Watkins in the offseason. Now they traded Marcel Darius. So I think that brings the Chargers defense into play. And then also the Bills run defense was abysmal last week. Without Darius in the middle, they got wrecked by the Saints. So I think the Chargers' uh, defense correlation with Melvin Gordon, I think that that's a pretty good combo. And then also we have from the Chargers' side, Phillip Rivers is currently questionable. He is practicing, and they're optimistic about his status. If he can't play, it's going to be Kellen Clemens starting. Kellen Clemens is not somebody I'd have interest in rostering, but if Rivers starts, I think Rivers at 5,900 combined with Keenan Allen at 5,900 who's also a bit too cheap. That's another play that I think makes sense. Yeah, if Rivers is starting, I like that a lot. As far as Nathan Peterman, though, I don't really want to weigh in too much on his ability as a quarterback because I don't think either of us really know anything at all about him. He might be better than Tyrod Taylor. I, I honestly have no idea. So we we can't really say too much there as far as liking the Chargers defense a lot. But even if Taylor were starting, I think the Gordon and Chargers defense combination makes sense. Uh, it's a home game for the Chargers. They have a boost there. The Bills' offense has been bad regardless. They don't have really skilled wide receivers at all, although Kelvin Benjamin, I guess, could change that. So I, I'm still interested, even without knowing too much about Peterman, I think that that Gordon-Chargers defense cor- correlation is sort of a viable strategy. Um, but maybe we'll learn more about Peterman as we get closer to Sunday. And then, yeah, Rivers to Allen, that... Uh, Hopefully that we get Rivers starting where we can consider that because Keenan Allen, I think, is not really usable if Kellen Clemens is the quarterback. Yeah, I just kind of default to a rookie quarterback drafted in the fifth round. 
is probably not going to be good in their first NFL start. I'm not saying it's impossible, but just my baseline expectation would be that's not a good player right now. Yeah, even if Peterman is a good prospect, he probably will struggle right off the bat because he's kind and of And if he was a good throat. prospect, he probably would have been taken earlier in the fifth round. That's probably true also. Uh, so we're, we're definitely speculating here, but I think it's, it's warranted speculation. All right, so another game without really a ton of interest is the Cincinnati Bengals at the Denver Broncos. Uh, Denver's defense, a little underwhelming this year. They are down to 12th overall in DVOA. But still, uh, Andy Dalton's not been great this year, and the Broncos number one against the run in DVOA this year. So this game as a whole is going to be a fade for me. Yeah, I definitely agree. There's been some pretty strong sharp action on the under also, which dropped from 40 to 38. There's no real reason to, like, either offense, and I think we're looking at bad weather in this game, too. So, oh, no, this isn't one of them. Okay, the weather should be fine. It looks like 50s and 60s and no wind. But either way, these are good defenses and bad offenses. So, yeah, let's uh, let's move on. All right, so the last game on the slate, and this is just by far the best offensive spot, the New England Patriots at the Oakland Raiders. It's two good offenses. It's two bad defenses. It's two offenses that could throw the ball a lot, which – figures to create more pace, more plays, more scoring. It should be back and forth. Almost all of my exposure is going to be stacks of this game this week. So what is the uh, Vegas info for this one, Matt? Okay, well, the Vegas info definitely supports that, and I'm, I'm with you. This is by far the best spot, and because of all that high ownership we've talked about potentially occurring in other games, I don't think it matters that this game will be mildly chalky because I don't think it'll be too chalky just People like to use players that have done well recently, and the Raiders kind of haven't. So maybe that keeps their ownership down. But as far as the Vegas information, the Patriots opened at minus five. The spread has moved to minus six and a half. I'll attribute that entirely to the public just liking the Patriots a lot. 85% of the spread bets so far are on New England. But the total has gone up from 50 to 55. So even though that comes with pretty strong public support, a five-point swing in the total is just too strong to to ignore, and that now this game has, I think it's the highest total by a very significant margin. So the New Orleans total is at 51.5, and then I don't think there's another game above 46. So the idea that there's any game that's even close to this one for stacking purposes is kind of just crazy. There's a, there's a 15 to 20 point margin in projected score between this game and most of the games this week. And the, the prices on the players in this game are actually lower than several other games, especially on the Raiders side. So I prefer the Raiders side just because they're cheaper, but definitely like both sides of this game. And I think it just makes sense for tournaments to use a lot of players from this game wherever you can. Yeah, definitely. So it looks like Chris Hogan isn't going to be playing. Uh, Danny Amendola is questionable. Let's see if he, what is his status? He was, uh, limited in practice. Um, it looks like he should play this week. Uh, I prefer Brandon Cooks. He has more big play upside. He hasn't scored any touchdowns so far this year, but he, he should score some touchdowns eventually just because he has that 50 plus yard big play type potential. So Brandon Cooks at 6,600. He opened the season at 7,700, then got to 8,200. So he spent most of the season in the mid to high 7,000 range. So he's about 1,000 cheaper than what he's been. And favorable matchup against the Raiders, who are 32nd in past DVOA so far this year. And then we have 
you know, Brady at 7,400 is really expensive. I still think he's worth rostering. Derek Carr at 6,400, he's worth rostering. Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree, they're both good plays. Gronkowski's a good play. Uh, for the Patriots running backs, I think Deion Lewis is my preferred option. He's been more involved in the run game recently. He hasn't caught a lot of passes so far this year, except he does have, uh, I think it was 70 targets over the last two seasons. So I would expect him to get more balls thrown his way going forward. So I, I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of really strong fantasy spots in this game, and they really aren't all that expensive. So uh, Brady is definitely expensive on the quarterback end, and Gronkowski is expensive. But then the other receivers, they're just kind of mid-tier price, and I think that that's really the way to build lineups this week. Yeah, my two favorite players for the game definitely are Brandon Cooks and Amari Cooper. It just makes sense to use the number one receiver from each team in a in what should be a very strong passing game on both sides. And yeah, they're just, they're underpriced for sure. They're cheaper than, I think, several guys from the Rams-Vikings game, which is just crazy considering what the Vegas information is for for the two games. And then also, you just look at the quality of defenses. Like you said, the Raiders and the Patriots are terrible on defense, especially against the pass. Um, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if there's any reason to fade the game or to not like any one particular spot, but I really can't think of one. Maybe I'll get back to everybody if I do come up with a reason not to use this game because I, I usually make 20 lineups for tournaments a week, and I think all 20 will involve at least three or four players from this game. There's just there's just no reason to go elsewhere. All right, so that will finish up this week's podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at GEarenbergDFS. Matt's Twitter handle is at PreachingSense, and we'll be recording a... Basketball, cod, uh, basketball podcast for Friday slate later tonight.